Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. This week, we, I want to talk a little bit about Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 1st Edition, interestingly enough. I was watching the YouTube channel Hexed Press. I'll put a link in the show notes. And Todd over there is doing a series where he's looking at the player's handbook and basically the player advice section of it. And he, and he mentions at the end of the, the first video about the fact that, you know, a lot of systems don't seem to really have this anymore. I don't, I don't have, you know, I don't have all the facts <laughs> to say that, but I think that what's interesting here is that not only, even though I will straight up and down say that I think BX is 100% the best way to learn how to play D&D, I think those examples of play and the way the book's written is just fantastic. But even BX on some level doesn't have the depth that this section has, which is super cool. So if you have the player's handbook, it's definitely worth looking at. And what it made me think about is that a few years ago, I don't remember exactly when, a dungeon was created called Tomb of the Serpent's King, I think is what it's called. And the idea there was that this was to, you know, people will say, like if you look at Matt Finch's uh, OSR a little thing where he's like rulings over rules, I forget what they call it now, you know, that people say this stuff, but nobody shows you how to do it. So this Tomb of the Serpent King was designed that like you'd run this for your brand new OSR players and as an OSR DM and you'd learn how to run that way because it'd be like, you know, the first hallway is like the trap that just kills the players. It's like you learn it's deadly. But I wonder if that's the best way to do it. I mean, I guess there's no best, right? Because when you look at the player's handbook, like the advice that, and in fact, Todd even talks about how he feels like it's a little bit meta, like it goes through like, hey, you're a player. These are the kind of traps that you might run into. So if you're in a dungeon, you want to probe ahead with a 10-foot pole. You want to be careful when you go through doors. You want to listen. Don't don't take too long, but also don't be you know overly bold when you bust into rooms because there might be something there. There can be tricks. There can be monsters. You can negotiate with the monsters. You can run from the monsters. This is how surprise works, and this is how you can surprise things. And it's written in not a hardcore, this is the rule, which I know that a lot of people love this like more modern format where they can just bullet pointed. It's written in prose by Gygax from a person who loves the game clearly and is just talking to you as like another player. It's one of those things that you, you've heard people say before, I'm sure, where when you read this, these first edition Advanced Dungeon Dragons books, especially the first, the Dungeon Master's Guide and the Player's Handbook, it really just feels like this guy who you don't know, right? I definitely didn't know him when I was 10 years old reading this. It's just talking to you and they're just like, hey, this is a cool game and this is how we play it. And, you know, hey, you know, you got to be careful because your dungeon master might put uh, sloping passages. And next thing you know, you're on the next level down. And by presenting it this way, it's not preachy. It's fun. And you can imagine a game where these things happen and these things that might seem a little underhanded and maybe not so nice. I become kind of fun because it's like, oh, man, the dungeon master might try to put some, you know, uh, bars that are going to trap us behind it. So we need to make sure we're ready for that. Oh, if they do that, maybe there's a reason. And, you know, and it also, you know, obviously as a dungeon master, you should be reading this, too. And I'm sure the dungeon master's guide has similar things. But it talks about things like if the trap is meant to trap somebody and hold them there, then there's probably a way that whoever trapped them is going to come to get them out. Right. And, and kill them and eat them or whatever it is, take their gold. So there might be a secret passage. So it's giving all these hints to the players. And I just think it's really great. So pick up your first edition Dungeon, Dungeon Master's Guide, of course, but Player's Handbook and check it out. I think it's, I mean, obviously check out Todd's series because he's reading through it and it's kind of fun. I don't know, by the time this comes out, he might be done. There's already three videos up. So if he's continuing to do it, they're live streams, you can join in. 
And I guess what I'm saying here is that I've heard this before too, that people will say, you know, a lot of these YouTube channels, a lot of these podcasts, a lot of these discussions that we have are really targeted at game masters. Like how do we run the game? But there's so much less stuff targeted at players. So if you know of resources that are kind of out there to like show players how to be, we'll just say better players for lack of a better word, but play the game. How do you play the game? Are there resources? Are there books? Are there these things out there? I'd be curious to know because maybe we can start a little list going or something and uh, we'll go from there. So let me know about that. I've got a couple of calls from Jason, so we'll get to those. Hey, Daniel, Jason here. So <laughs> talking about not telling what your character class is as you're talking about in your Geomorph episode, which, by the way, I've got the Geomorphs. I've never used them. I didn't have them back in the day. I bought them when I got back into, you know, the hobby in the mid-2000s, but I've never used them. I, I probably need to incorporate them sometime. I just don't run that much fantasy. But anyway, as far as not telling what your character is, so recently in Friday Night AD&D, the game I'm in run by M.W. Lewis over at the, MW, the World's M.W. Lewis podcast, I my previous character died in the in a, in a session. And so I was rejoining. I need a new character. So I was rolling them up here at the beginning of the session, and, and, and they're doing their thing. And he knew it was a dwarf fighter and all, but he didn't have my stats. And we're playing over Skype, and he's like, don't worry about it. Just, you know, I'll, I'll get your stats later. And I had rolled... I, I think I'm in the car, but I think it was 1884 strength, something like that, something like 1880 something strength. And the scenario he had come up with that we we're doing that day, it, that night, was that my dwarven fighter was new to town, right? And so he was getting sucked into this underground fighting ring, and so so we and so and we're going to use all the hand to hand unarmed combat rules, you know, in AD and D, which is great. And so we're getting there, and he's like, oh, okay, well, what, what, what's your character's attributes? What's this, you know, because you, you need them all because they give you different points depending what you're doing in those rules. And, and I'm like, oh, yeah, 1884 strength. He's like, what? <laughs> and he's like, so, and, and, and I was supposed to throw the match. I was supposed to lose the match in the fifth round. And inadvertently, so he said, well, if you want it to look good, you, you, you have to make a successful charisma roll. And I know you're not a huge fan of doing attribute tests. But he said, you know, if you're trying to throw the match, it's kind of like acting, and that's kind of like charisma. So if you want to pull your punches, not to do, because my character had like plus four damage. So even doing the unarmed thing, he was going to knock somebody out with like a hit or two. And because we're talking, you know, he was a first level character. And anyway, I, I failed the tribute roll, and I knocked my opponent out straight away. And so we, <laughs> now we've got the Thieves Guild after us. Because we ruined their underground fighting, you know, the fix on their underground fighting ring. But so, so it's not always the fact you don't know the characters' classes, but sometimes knowing their stats are important too. Because he might have put somebody a little stronger against my character if he'd known what his strength was. I don't know, but I'm glad he didn't. It was it was a lot of fun, and I can't wait for our next session when we, you know, now we're on the run from the Thieves Guild. So I, yeah, it's a lot of fun. But yeah, that, that's the closest story I have to not telling the DM about your character. See, you speak of uh, first edition AD&D and Jason Calls. <laughs> so that, that's a pretty fun story. I love that. You know, it's like you you uh, you roll this character and, and he doesn't know, right? He just knows it's a dwarf. It could be anything, but you're like super strong. And now all of a sudden you found yourself in this situation. And I'm curious, I would be curious um, if MW would have changed it. I'm not sure I would have changed it knowing you were tougher. 
to be honest, I actually kind of like the idea that you weren't able to throw the match and now you're now you're wanted. I almost feel like that that could be a really fun story. So, I mean, I don't know what would have happened had you thrown it. Maybe I guess you would have been in their favor. So either way, I guess it would have worked out. But it seems like a really fun story. So thanks for sharing that. Hey, Daniel, Jason here. I'm calling you because it's easier to call you than type while I'm driving in the car. But I ran Boot Hill, that same adventure that you and the other guys played the other night. Well, a couple weeks ago that I had run for the convention. It was a big hit in the convention. And then I ran it for the Reaver Group, which is Joe Salvador of Raven Guy Games, Joe Richter of Hindsight, Listen, Carl Rodriguez of Geomologist Presents. There's another player. He couldn't make it last night. But I, I ran it for them last night. And it went really well. They had a great time with it. But I'm kind of... I. I really want to get with you, and we had talked about doing the Kung Fu rules and looking at the brawling rules and all. I really kind of think, and I'm calling you about this because I want you to kind of mull this over. I, I really am thinking that for, for the punching table, if you're using a weapon, if you pick up a bottle or you're using a chair or something, a one-handed or two-handed weapon, the way it's written, rules is written, is you subtract one from your to hit, but you add one to your damage. So it's harder to hit with those things. And I don't know, I, I'm kind of leaning towards adding it so it's easier to hit. So if you're using a, a one-handed weapon, it's plus one to hit. And if you have a two-handed weapon, like you pick up a chair and swing at somebody, it's a plus two to hit. Uh, and then also do the add the damage. I, I realize that'll make it go a little bit faster, but I don't know, what do you think? I'm kind of curious, and, and we need to pick a time we get together to um, talk about the a the martial arts rules and, and maybe like looking at some house rules a couple house rules for boot hill i'd love to talk about that and then we wanted to do something for odnd fighters too so anyhow i hope you're doing well i'm way behind on your youtube videos i'm sorry I'm, i've got them all downloaded i just need to find time to watch them but um anyhow take care talk to you soon so what i'll say about this one is that we have actually scheduled it to meet up hopefully if our schedules do not get changed suddenly uh, this week and record something. So hopefully next week's podcast will have myself and Jason discussing Boot Hill because I think it's super interesting. Uh, I think he's right in a way, you know, you, you it's like if you use a bottle and then it's harder to hit, but then you do more damage in the end, it almost is like a wash and kind of is not worth it. If you look at the actual tables, I think I haven't really, I just looked at him quickly after he sent the message. So uh, we'll have to kind of see how that works out. I'm not so sure I like the idea of it always adding in total, but I guess we'll talk about that next week. So I won't get into that now because I would definitely love to have a conversation about it. So look forward to that next week. This next message is about uh, my actual play YouTube channel. So if you're only listening to the podcast and don't watch the YouTube channel, it may not make as much sense to you, but I'm actually not sure what he's going to say because as I've talked about before, I never listen to the messages until I'm ready to respond. So let's see what Jason has to say. Hey, Daniel, Jason here. So I've gotten through all your videos now, the actual play videos up through party creation and really interesting, really great stuff, really enjoying it. When I get doing it myself, I am a Luddite. I'd rather roll myself out of the books than use the online generators, but I do not discount the usefulness of the online generators. I'm just going to cut in here to say that, yeah, I agree with the Jason. I would much prefer to roll the characters with with dice and sit there with a notebook. But when you're trying to film something for an actual play, it doesn't, it, it's boring. I'm not putting them down at all. I just prefer not to use them. But that said, what I wanted to call you about is 
I want to mention the Avenging Packs. I'm with you 100%. It would definitely make life easier. But spell books and spells. So I like the way you're doing spells here. I think it makes sense for the game, and I think it works fine. I like the idea of clerical spell books as well. Um, so I'm with you there. Now, as far as the weight of spell books and whether they take them with them, that is the interesting part, right? So, and we know how that was handled later on. So Holmes didn't let people venture the spell books. Holmes, they had to leave them in their wizard's tower or wherever. And then when we hit later on, you, you know, with um, Mulvey and AD&D, you could definitely carry them with you if you wanted to. And AD&D even had a separation between your regular spell book and your traveling spell book as far as weight-wise goes. And, and I think that's one thing we're seeing here. Now, you're only having one spell. You're doing the traditional a spell book for each level of spells. So maybe it would just go into the regular. And so effectively, it's like a traveling spell book in AD&D. But even those are fairly bulky. And the regular spell book in AD&D is super bulky and, and takes up a lot of encumbrance. So I, I think maybe it's a little bit generous just to let it be part of the regular encumbrance. You, you know, the AD encumbrance with spell books. So, but, you know, I'm kind of mean towards magic users anyway, so I may be doing that. Um, as far as the saddlebags and capacity for that kind of stuff, I would just go to AD&D because they have capacities for all that stuff. Now, some of the capacities are not in the three main books. Some of the capacities you actually have to go to, like, the character record or the NPC record, and it's on the inside cover, The you know, the that separate cover that's on those it's on the inside of that. So you have to kind of look for some of the capacities in those AD&D, but AD&D does cover all that stuff. Okay, great job, and I will talk to you soon. All right, some excellent points there. I, uh, Yeah, I, I guess, you know, I imagine spellbooks. I think it's really interesting, right? Because, of course, D&D, the original idea, I mean, I say of course because that's kind of the accepted idea, is that the spellcasting comes from Vance. And if we think about Vance, you know, in those books, at least the ones that I, if, I mean, it's been a little while since I've read them, nobody takes their spell books with them. <laughs> Not because they're heavy necessarily, but because they are incredibly valuable, right? So that could be a reason not to carry them. So I get that with Holmes. You know, I and I don't know that they necessarily describe them as being big, right? A spell could be on a scroll. So I don't know that they need to be big or bulky. And I was just kind of keeping it simple. I like OD&D's encumbrance where... I mean, I do know that it gets out of hand, right? Because if somebody's like, well, I'm going to carry 12 water skins. Yeah, I mean, you got to kind of start to figure that out. So maybe I would do that and, you know, and think about making the spell books count as something else. Maybe they'd count as like an additional hundred or something like that uh, for all the spell books. But I wouldn't go one spell book weighs this much or one spell book weighs that much. I feel like that's just way too much to deal with. And that's why people don't use encumbrance. <laughs> you know, it's because people don't want to constantly be doing math and thinking about what things weigh. You do need to have some kind of kind of a standard, right? Because you wouldn't want like a, a high-level magic user carrying nine levels of spell books plus all kinds of other adventuring gear and it only weighs 80. That would be a little silly too. So yeah, I'm not really sure. I'm still up in the air about that. I'm keeping it more abstract, to be honest with you. As far as the saddlebags and stuff, yeah, I think you're right. It, looking other places are probably the simplest way to do it. But I did also get a comment somewhere where they, OD&D does have the capacity that a animal can carry, so I'm wondering if I should just realistically think, like, because again, I'm trying to stay within OD&D, right? When I'm playing the game, I'm playing in 1974. Like AD&D doesn't exist. I'm trying not to look at it. 
So if I take the total carrying capacity of the animal, and I think reasonably how many saddlebags it could hold, like let's say four, I could just divide that as well. So you got a few different ways to do it. Uh, you'll see, I guess I'm a little spoiler, <laughs> it, the mules and the saddlebags and stuff do come into play in some of the next uh, adventures. So, you know, we'll uh, we'll see we'll see if it makes a difference <laughs> or not how much they can carry. So thanks so much for your calls. If anybody else has something to say and you want to call the show, you can check the show notes. There'll be a link to Anchor. I guess I should eventually get a speak pipe or something like all the pros do, but I just haven't uh, I haven't gotten around to it. Uh, but the better, way, the better way to reach me really is to just join my Discord server. You can find a link to that down there. You can send me a personal message there and I will play it. That's what most people have been doing anyways. And it works out really well. So if you want to type up a message, I'll I'll take a cue from Jason who says this. You can also just send me a note typed up. You don't have to make a voice message. So what else is going on? That's basically it. You can, uh, like I said, I will, I mean, you can find... I, okay, so currently, although as I record this, the, they've kind of backed off now, but I know that there was a we don't want to buy anything from Watsy uh, moment, so people probably wouldn't want to go to drive through and pick up these players' handbooks. And honestly, don't pick it up from a PDF from Drive RPG. Don't get a print-on-demand from Drive RPG. Go on eBay or go to some local bookstore or go to Wayne's Books or Abe's Books or one of these places. Go to your local game store if they have it and buy yourself an actual copy of the player's handbook. You can get them probably for 30 or 40 bucks in really good condition. And it's just a beautiful thing to have on your shelf and to flip through whether you played back in the day or not. So that's what I recommend you do. Seek yourself a player's handbook and let me know when you get it. We'll keep a count. <laughs> so like I said, call you all the information that you need is in the show notes, including the Discord and a way to call in and also my Patreon if you'd like to support the podcast. I'll talk to you soon.